Welcome to the TBE Richmond Podcast. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On this feed, you'll hear sermons, teachings, music, conversations with guests, and so much more from us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks for learning and growing with us. It's so good to be here together. I think smaller services make me appreciate more each and every one of us um, because we would have been a little lost if any one of us hadn't been here today. So I'm so glad to be here with you. Um, I think uh, Elisheva said something beautiful. She said, this is why I practice um, because it's difficult to, to read without having practice. I have felt that Passover needs a long practice period beforehand um, because just timing of everything, right? Timing of cleaning, timing of food, timing of visits, timing of services, uh, just getting it all together has, is, is hectic every year. Um, and this year was no different. Uh, a few weeks ago, as we began our journey through Leviticus, uh, the rabbi had this, this mood that I think I needed for all of Passover, uh, which is he was super enthusiastic, like he had extra dad energy, right? So he was like, oh, we're starting Leviticus and it's going to be so great. And, uh, you know, he had big, what's that? He's deranged. Well, you know, that or he's like a dad. And I think um, I know my father did this. I know um, my husband does this. He gets super excited and and encouraging when things are going to be tough. Right. So when you're about to get a shot, my dad's like smiling. He's like, it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. Um, if, if I'm about to have a tooth pulled, Dad's like, all right, we, we got this. We got this. It's milkshake time. Uh, so. I felt like as we were headed into this time, I would rethink Leviticus in the spirit that the rabbi brought to it, which was one of uh, enthusiasm in the face of something that is often difficult. I, for one, uh, love the narratives of Torah. I love the poetry. I love later on uh, when we get to, to history, um, and prophetic exhortation, all of that I feel is very relatable. Rules are a little difficult to get oneself very excited about. And I think of Leviticus as the um, instruction manual of Torah, and uh, it garners about as much enthusiasm as people tend to have for reading instruction manuals. The funny thing is that I normally love an instruction manual because to me, the instruction manual is there to keep me from feeling lost. Uh, meanwhile, Leviticus, when I get into it, often in decades past, have always felt kind of lost. I find myself, I don't know about you, but I'll find myself three pages in and I'm like, whoa, at what point did my mind wander and I stopped paying attention? But then I started thinking about how do I reframe it in the spirit of what the rabbi had shared? How do I reframe Leviticus so that it is part of this Passover uh, chaos in a beautiful way instead of a restrictive way? And so recently my family uh, returned from a spring break trip we took up north. 
we visited the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston to see an exhibit of the artist Cy Twombly. Uh, I think I'm one of the last of the Cy Twombly fans in this world. Uh, he was an abstract painter from the mid 20th century, originally from Lexington, Virginia. And he became an expat and lived the rest of his life in Italy. His art remains provocative today. Uh, it was most popular probably in the 60s through maybe 1980. And there's always, if you have no idea who Cy Twombly is, I can wrap it up for you in one sentence. He is an artist for whom people walk into uh, a gallery full of his work and go, are you kidding me? I could do that. Uh, so he's from that era. If you can remember that era of American painting, uh, that Cy Twombly was the king of that era, abstract painting. And in that, it requires uh, considerable reframing. In his case, his interest was actually Greek and Roman literature, religion, and culture. And his paintings were always trying to uh, express visually how difficult it is to get from words to understanding and a visual representation. And he did that in crayon sometimes. Um, so as we went around the museum, though, I saw that reframing is definitely a concept of modern America. Because all through the museum, the last time I had been through it was probably in the 80s, uh, they have reframed the context of their collections. So uh, I was drawn to the Judaica. They do not have a gallery of Judaica. What they have is in a section of European crafts, they show uh, beautiful Shabbat candles that are hundreds of years old. Uh, in a section of portraits, they have this uh, really, just your eyes are drawn to it, a tiny portrait of uh, a man studying Torah. And I'm not kidding, it's about this big. And this is right next to the rooms that have things as large as our windows here. But what these treasures do as they go, as you go around the larger collections and see these little treasures is it gives you a context. Uh, it reframes the story of Europe in a way that I realized museums had not normally done. Our things were separate. Um, Jewish art was separate from the larger European art. Uh, and I was really appreciative of those efforts to reframe and to, to include our story within the larger picture. Now, Cy Twombly, he, um, one of the things he did that truly, it, it took some work, and I'm a fan, it took some work for me to look at these. Uh, it's probably 10 different frames, and each frame in either marker or crayon is the name of a different Greek or a Roman philosopher or poet. And that, that's it, <laughs> that, that's what's there. But then I realized that what he is doing is he is constantly going through reframing and he's saying, I'm still thinking about these guys. This is life to me. These old, old names, these old stories and philosophies, this is relevant 
to me. Just as when I walked around the gallery and saw the Judaica, I thought, that, that's me. I'm still using these things. They're relevant to me. They're relevant to us. And Leviticus, we are still thinking these things, not in a measure of flower or what animal will be sacrificed in which way, but how do we show gratitude? How do we visually demonstrate our faith and belief? And how do we understand ourselves in time? Which I think for me is always the most compelling thing as I, uh, as I observe the holidays, is how do we observe ourselves as part of the larger story of who we are and what we believe? I know that Passover for many people is quite complex um, because it brings, it evokes memories of people we love who are no longer with us. It involves rules that may remind us of some more chafing rules that haven't worked for us in our lives or of high expectations that others have had on us. It can bring confusion if uh, your family is a mixed family or one where there has been antagonism for your religious uh, practice, or even if there has been ambivalence. All of these are wrapped up in Passover, and I think they are wrapped up there for good reasons. It is a complex and beautiful observance. And uh, as I was watching all of us try to make this happen together today, I thought, this is Passover. This is each of us bringing what we have, trying to make it work in a show of gratitude um, and uh, an understanding that we are always building freedom, that freedom is never complete. So uh, I just wanted to share with you uh, a, a moment of vulnerability uh, in closing that may be helpful for you if you ha are having any conflicting feelings this year about Passover, or if you know people who are. Uh, I think my feelings aren't so conflicted, I'm just busy, um, but I think many of my friends do have some conflict they're going through. So this is uh, the story of the Great Omer County meltdown of 5783, uh, and it happened to me last night. So um, I decided, it will be legendary, we will be talking about it for years. Um, now, I decided that this year I was going to count the Omer, a, a perfectly simple concept <laughs> um, of, of what I was going to do. But I had piled too much in, in my life. We'd gone on vacation. I have Cy Twombly in my brain. I have teenagers, you know, uh, I have work. There's lots going on, but I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm just gonna start counting the Omer and it's gonna be great. Forgetting a few, a few things. Um, I forgot numbers. I forgot numbers in Hebrew. I learned Hebrew late. I didn't learn it until I was 24. Um, and it was the, fourth or fifth foreign language that I had learned. And so sometimes my Hebrew gets caught up in German because of Yiddish and, and other things. And so literally last night, I just forgot my numbers and Professor Google was not helpful because Professor Google is trained to do 
my pattern of life, which is my pattern is give me the big philosophical story, Professor Google. You know, give give me the instruction manual. That's what I want. Last night I, I just I just wanted the numbers. I wanted to be able to count the Omer. And uh, so I got so stressed out about counting the first one that I almost lost sight of what I was doing. Um, I got super stressed. I said mean things to the dog. I, because, <laughs> you know, he interrupted me. I'm trying to figure this out. I want to do this thing. Uh, and I realized that I had lost my frame, just, just momentarily, had, had lost my frame. And my family was looking at me like, what are you doing? This is not that big a deal. We, we can do this. It's fine. But I think when I look at the larger picture of how we're trying to explain life and how we're trying to understand ourselves with the concept of building freedom for ourselves and others throughout the millennia, that if you really stop and pay attention to it, you will get out of sorts. And that is why we have the gift of things like Leviticus. It is why we have the gift of coming together and making a minion and, and working through the process here to observe this special day. It is difficult, but life is more difficult and disconcerting. So I finally figured it out. I counted my first Omer. It went great. Uh, and, uh, and then I turned, uh, I started looking at um, inspirational readings, and uh, I got to the sages, and in the sages it talks about this is a favorite teaching of his, right? It introduces someone historically and says this is one of our sages, and this is one of his favorite teachings. And that's what I thought, I realized that's the frame. That's the frame Cy Twombly was trying to tell us. He's saying, these are my favorite teachings, Ovid and Tacitus, and they are my life, and they have meaning to me, and I'm still thinking about this. And so what are ours? What are our favorite teachings, and who, who brought them to us? Are they Moses? Are they Maimonides? Are they Pink Floyd? Are they your great uncle? of blessed memory, who are they and what do they tell us? This Passover, in spite of the great Omer County meltdown of 5783, uh, I will hold up this place and you as some of the teachings that are meaningful to me and that bring me closer to understanding what freedom is. I hope that in uh, the days to come, that you are able to also find that which gives you comfort and inspiration, leads you to freedom, reframes, and is the least upsetting instruction manual you can use. Thank you for your time this morning. It's such a pleasure to be in this room again. Thank you. This has been the TBE Richmond Podcast. 
Once again, I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On behalf of all of us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia, thanks for listening. I hope this episode was uplifting and enriching. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. And please rate and review us so others will have an easier time joining the conversation. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Learn more about our dynamic, warm, and passionate congregation affiliated with the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism at www.bethelrichmond.org. Until next time, shalom y'all.